Well, it's Christmas Eve, believe it or not, although by now I'm probably sure you're, you're aware, uh, the timing, the countdown, it's just one day to Christmas. Christmas is tomorrow, and uh, one of the things we love about this time of year is we get to have a family worship service, so that includes our kids, our students, and our adults, all the way through our senior adults, so we're glad to be together. We're also aware that sometimes, you know, kids want to have a few things to do while we're in church, so we do have some activity bags for kids that are out through those doors. If you didn't get one, maybe you came in this way or you just didn't pick one up on your way in, feel free to go grab one right now or ask your parents if you can go get one. Um, but having kids in here makes it fun. I'm gonna maybe try to get some interaction from you guys as well. So I hope you'll stay with me uh, and don't zone out too much. Um, for example, like how many of you open up gifts on Christmas Eve, like tonight? Raise your hand, I'd like to know. Okay, cool, can we come to your house? Cause I'd like to, no. <laughs> Now, we usually maybe do one gift on Christmas Eve. How many of you opened up gifts Christmas morning? Yeah, how many of you do both? <laughs> yeah, try to get a little bit of both, right? Celebrate both at night and in the morning. Of course, you're in the valley. It's not Christmas Eve without tamales and hot cocoa or, or pozole, things like that that we all enjoy. Whatever it is, it's just good to be together. And today being Sunday is just great that we can also be together as a church family. As the song says, I do believe Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And you know, you could just look around the world and it's obvious, people celebrate Christmas all around the world in different languages, different cultures, and it's been done for centuries. In fact, I already got my first Merry Christmas text from some friends who are on the other side of the world that right now it's midnight and it's their Christmas morning. And it's really neat to see that this is something that is celebrated worldwide. I really do think it's the most wonderful time of the year for many reasons. One of the things we notice is that Christmas brings up so many feelings and memories, right? And maybe they're good, warm feelings. Maybe for some people, it's, it's some sad memories, some sad feelings, because, but why are we sad? Because we miss people, right? That were with us on, on past Christmases. It's just such a feeling of Christmas and joy and warmth. The, the four candles that we have here symbolize peace and hope and joy and love. And these are words that we think about with Christmas. And, and so the Christmas spirit is, is Jesus who brings it all together. And Christmas is wonderful. I, I think we can all agree. But then what happens? What happens when December 26th or 27th rolls around and the holidays are over? What happens when the music stops playing? What happens when the candles go out? What happens when the decorations come down? So in other words, when the fa-la-la-la-la is gone away, 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 what remains of Christmas? Is there anything that we can take with us from Christmas that can stay with us throughout the year? Or do we just kind of have to put it all away and wait till it comes back next year so that we can have these feelings of hope and joy and love and celebrating Jesus? What remains when Christmas is finished? And sometimes it's reality that comes crashing down. We've had family here in the church who've had a diagnosis given to them recently. We've had a family here in the church who's had a house burn. What happens when reality meets Christmas? Does anything remain and does anything come with us that helps us throughout the rest of the year? I'd like to look at the Christmas story today and we're gonna read a few verses and go back through them as we look at the story from Luke chapter two in the Bible. And I know you just sat down, but we've been enjoying here a, a new tradition of standing for the reading of God's word in respect and honor for God's word. So I'd like to invite you to stand with us. And I'm gonna read Luke two, one through 21. And on verse 14, I think the numbers will be up there. On verse 14, I'd like for all of you to join in and read verse 14 with me together. All right, so be watching for that. In Luke two, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree 
that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, Savior, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when, he, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated. So we're going to go back through here and look at this story. Um, but but uh, li listen to the first three verses again. And the kids, this is where I want you kids to help me out a little bit. You can participate there from, from where you are. But listen for this story and tell me, help me understand what's missing in the story. Because in the first three verses of Luke chapter 2, look what Luke says. He says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town to register. Now, what's interesting here is we have some scenes of, of Christmas that are more typical that we know of. Like, what do you guys see here in this scene? A star, right? Yeah, we see a star. And we talked about that last week, but, but we don't hear a star in this story so far. Who else do you see here? I don't know if you can see through here. Mary and Joseph, right? And baby Jesus. Yeah, I agree. What, what do you see here? An angel, right? Is there an angel so far in this story? Uh, not in the first three verses that we've read, right? Uh, there's candles, right? And we talked about candles, how it means hope, love, joy, and peace. The first three verses of Luke don't talk about any of this. So here's some question. If Luke, who, has, who only writes 24 chapters, and he's telling us the best story that the world needs to hear, you would think that he would jump right into the story with the main characters, but so far we don't hear about Mary or Joseph or Jesus or a star or an angel. Why is Luke telling us about the days of Caesar Augustus and a governor named Quirinius? I, I want to propose to you that Luke starts here for a very important reason. And it's because, as, as you may know, you grew up, if you grew up in Texas, you go to school and you take Texas history, right? 
But Texas history, even though we had a few years of independence back in the 1800s, is part of actually U.S. history. It's not a separate history. It's Texas history is part of U.S. history. U.S. history is part of world history. In other words, there is one history and everybody, every state and every country has a part in that, right? And so here what Luke is telling us is that the Bible doesn't have its separate history or its separate history story. The Bible is part of real history. So he starts by telling us about people in real history. Caesar Augustus was a real leader of the Roman Empire. Quirinius was a real governor of that region in Syria. And so why does Luke do this? He's, Luke is telling us, look, I'm about to tell you a story. And this story is going to sound magical, almost make-believe. This story is going to be so amazing. You're going to think somebody made it up and it's a wonderful fantasy. And Luke says, so, so, so that you don't assume that it's just a fantasy, it's some other story in some other dimension or universe. I want you to know, this story takes place in real time and it happens through real people. So Luke gives us that historical background to place this story in the, in the middle of our story. It's not some other history, it's not some make-believe fairy tale, it's happening within our own story. And you know, it's interesting to me that Christmas we like to tell stories, and it's a, it's a fun time to even tell a lot of make-believe stories. Uh, you know, we have a lot of great stories and movies. We'll have all these, you know, fantasy kind of things, and we love it. We enjoy make-believe, don't we? Uh, there's one Santa, uh, not Santa, sorry. There's one Christmas story that actually starts in a make-believe world, and then they try to move the story into the real nitty-gritty world in which we live. And it's the story of Elf. How many of you heard of Elf? I'm talking about, you know, this guy right here. <laughs> Buddy, yeah, Buddy the Elf. Thank you. I've been told I have a striking resemblance because there's a rumor out there that I actually wear a full elf costume to Christmas staff parties. I don't know where they got that. I don't know where I got that. But, you know, Elf is this movie that starts off in a magical North Pole and then they move the story into the nitty-gritty, real New York City. And watch what happens when someone from a make-believe land comes into the real world. Let's see what happens in, in Buddy's experience. Don't you know each cloud contains banners from heaven? Hello. You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be shining your umbrella. It's up, 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 upside down. And every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's crocodile? Every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's crocodile? All over town, all over town, all over town. It's upside down, it's really up. Oh, how about the hills are white? Oh, I thought I asked him to cut that scene. Sorry. Uh, Buddy the Elf is discovering the real, real world, right? New York City for the first time. And he's having fun as he discovers this. But what, what's interesting to me about that film is that they try to take a story from, a, from the magical North Pole and set it in the real world. And Luke is doing a similar thing. He's saying, look, I'm about to tell you a story that's going to be so amazing. It's going to seem magical, like it's from another world, but it's happening in your world with real time, real people, real characters. All right? So that's the first thing we see is that the story is set in our time and in our history. 
But as you go on looking further, well, actually, one more thing I want to point out there is you see how he mentions Caesar Augustus, and this is the Roman emperor. And, and I love that, that Luke includes that. And he says, in the days of Caesar Augustus, and he's about to tell us how God is working in those days. And I think that should be a great encouragement to us. That it doesn't matter who's in power, it doesn't matter who's, who's, who's leading, God can still work through his plan and purpose no matter who it is. I mean, it could, it could be for us today in the days of Joe Biden or in the days of Donald Trump or in the days of Governor Abbott, in the days of Mayor Villalobos. No matter who is in charge, you can picture that God, Luke is saying God is at work in real time through real people. All right, so let's go on and see what else happens in verses four through seven. We see again here that, that now we see Joseph and Mary. Now they come into the picture. Luke has set the stage saying this is a real story happening in real history. So Joseph, it tells us, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, the town of David, and he took Mary with him. Here's what's interesting there too, right, is that Joseph, he was originally from Bethlehem. His, his descendancy was from Bethlehem, his lineage, but he was living in Nazareth. And I can almost picture, you know, Joseph was a builder. Maybe he had a nice little home. Maybe he had a nice view of the, of the Sea of Galilee with a nice cool breeze, a beautiful sunset perhaps at night. So Joseph, I, I can imagine, had a good life in Nazareth. This is just me imagining this, right? And, and Mary, he's going he's gonna to marry her, even though all these strange things have been happening, but angels have assured him, hey, you can do this. Go ahead and marry uh, and get married to Mary. And, but his life essentially gets interrupted, doesn't it? His life is completely disrupted. He has to leave his, his, his comfortable home in Nazareth and he has to go all the way to Bethlehem. And, and that's not a long distance geographically, but in those days, travel was difficult and Mary was already pregnant. And so you can only imagine the difficulty of the journey. But because God has set things in motion and has caused the Roman Empire to create a census, Joseph and Mary have to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem. And here's what's amazing to me about that is that God may, may be working in the interruptions of our lives in ways that we don't even realize. When has your life last been interrupted? When have your plans been suddenly changed? And what's our typical reaction? It's to get frustrated, right? And oh no, why is this happening? You know, uh, we had a similar experience to this just even last night. Uh, so, so far, we've, we, had, we had my mom arrive for Christmas, and we had two of our kids, Elisa and Andrew, here. Our daughter, Anna, was supposed to fly in yesterday uh, on Christmas Eve, and she was on the next-to-last flight from Dallas to McAllen. Well, her previous flight was delayed, and she got to the gate of her next flight four minutes before it left, and we thought, oh, great, she's going to make it. But guess what? The door was closed, and they didn't let her on, and the next flight is fully booked, and so we're already thinking, oh no, she's not going to make it. And I'm trying to think of this message that I'm thinking, okay, God works in the interruptions. God works in the interruptions. You know, try to be positive about it. And, and, uh, and she was number 10 on the standby list to get on the last flight that got into McAllen after midnight this morning, last night, this morning. And, and she actually got on, you know? And so we, we were so thankful to God that that actually happened. But, but we're challenged in those moments to say, okay, it's an interruption to our plans. What does God want to do? And what if we took that perspective? Because that's what Joseph and Mary had to do, right? Their life was interrupted. They had to leave their, their place where they were living, where they were going to get married. They had to travel all the way to Bethlehem just for the census. But Joseph and Mary decide to be obedient. They pay attention to God in the interruptions of their lives. And so they go ahead and go forward. 
I don't have a video clip of this, but in the same movie, Elf, what happens is he's going to New York City because he wants to meet his biological father. All right, and so when he shows up, his biological father has never met him, and he's thinking, who is this guy? He's, and he's bothered by him, he's annoyed by him, he gets angry at him in the movie. And I think that's our response when life interrupts us, doesn't it? When we have to end up sick and in bed and we weren't planning on that, or, or when just plans change, we, we end up bothered, annoyed, and frustrated. Uh, but just in that movie, what happens is after he accepts the reality, it actually changes his life for the better. And that's what we see with Mary and Joseph. When they accept God's will for their lives, God begins to move and work his story of Christmas through their lives. It changes their lives, I believe, for the better. Because they responded to the interruption. They saw to see how is God working in our lives. And, and what's beautiful too to see is how God moves through these moments. Right? Last week, we saw the story of the Magi and the star, and we saw that God literally arranged the stars and planets in the sky to move them so that the wise men would find Jesus. And this week, we see the story where God moves the entire Roman Empire to get Mary and Joseph to the place where Jesus is supposed to be born. What If God can move stars and planets, if God can move an entire empire to move people into the places where he wants them to be, what can he not do for us? What can he not do for us on whom his favor rests? I think it's a very encouraging thing to see that God is willing to move an entire empire to get Mary and Joseph to where they need to be, to the place that Jesus is supposed to be born so that God's promises would be fulfilled. It's a beautiful story of God at work in spite of all the opposing circumstances in the world around them. And I think that's something we can take to our heart. How do we respond when God is interrupting our lives? And do we look for him to then move things to, to put us into places where he wants us to be? Or are we resisting his moving in our lives? Jesus comes into the world to remind us that, that he wants a relationship with you and with I. And, he, and, and he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his plans on you. But if you'll receive him and work with him, he will move your life in ways that you've never imagined. Maybe you're here this morning because God orchestrated the situations. Maybe you got up and thought, ah, I'm not sure if I'm going to go. Maybe there's some challenges. Our daughter almost didn't make it last night, right? But could it be that God orchestrated for you to be here this morning because he's working in your life and he wants you to hear something from him to encourage you and to motivate you, to let you know that he's at work and that he wants to work in your life and through your life if you will let him do so. But you know, a lot of times we don't allow God to work. Why? Because we put Jesus, we put God in a box. And we think, okay, God belongs here in, in Sunday morning, or God belongs in church, or God belongs in certain times of the year, but does he belong in all of our life? I think here in verses six and seven, we see a beautiful thing. It says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to the firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And a manger is literally a trough, like a cattle trough to feed cattle. And it's basically a box with an open top, right? And this is where Jesus is put. So God comes into the world and he comes into the world in a box, but he doesn't stay there. And he doesn't intend to stay there, right? Obviously Jesus didn't stay in the manger for the rest of his life, but is Jesus for you just simply a God in a box? Is he someone who you pull out every Christmas and maybe every Easter? Or is he someone who came in a box but is now out of the box and is willing to, and you're allowing him, you're willing to let him be Lord of your entire life. Is Jesus someone that goes with you every day 
and is part of your life every day, or is he still just a God in a box? Now, a lot of you raise your hands that you're opening your opening presents tonight. Some of you said you're opening presents tomorrow. But regardless of when you open presents, um, most of us or all of us are probably not going to leave the present in the box, right? How silly would that be, right? You open it, you say, oh, wow, it's what I've always wanted. And then you leave it there. And then next Christmas you come back, oh, yeah, it's what I always wanted. And then you leave it there. We don't do that, right? We take the presents out. We forget about the box. We forget about the wrapping paper. We put the present to use in our day-to-day life. Jesus came in the world in a box, but it's for us to unwrap, to open, and to invite him into our lives, to put him to use in our day-to-day lives. And then the last section of this story, we see that as Jesus is born, then what happens? Celebration begins, right? The party starts, verses 8 through 20. We see that an angel shows up to shepherds, right? And he, and he tells, and he tells them the good news, that, that good news which shall be for great joy for all the people. Good news, great joy. How do you celebrate? How do you celebrate good news with great joy? Again, let's look at our friend Buddy for one last example of how to really celebrate when you see good news of great joy. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. I love that, right? Buddy's working in this store in New York, and he's told that Santa's going to come the next day, and he says, oh, great, right? That'd be cool. No, no, he says, Santa, yeah, he's coming. I know him. I know him. As, Je- as, as, as Christmas approaches, we have Jesus who's done for us so much more than Santa ever has or ever, ever will, right? And as, as Jesus comes, how do you approach him? As you hear the news, as the shepherds heard the news, I can picture this sense of, wow, he is here, the Messiah, the Savior that we've been waiting for. I picture a celebration even more expressive than that because it's really good news that Jesus has come. And until we remember that or until we recognize that, we may not really experience the full joy of Christmas. We need to remember what a powerful, powerful gift Jesus coming into the world really is, how significant that is for us. And we need to celebrate We celebrate with our hearts and with our enthusiasm because Jesus has come and he's done so much more for us. Now here at Calvary, again, we celebrate a lot. A lot of our grow groups have, you know, reserved spaces in our different halls so you can have Christmas parties. Uh, We had a few staff Christmas parties. Staff were invited to other Christmas parties, so much so that one of our new staff, our Spanish language pastor, he turned to me last Tuesday and he said, boy, you guys sure eat and party a lot here. Like, is this normal? Are you around? And I said, well, you kind of came at a good time, right? Thanksgiving to Christmas is kind of our party season. But it should be, right? As a church, this, is, this should be the, the, the greatest time of year for us. This and Easter, right? Which is another topic for another day, which I hope you'll come back for, right? But, but Jesus is celebration. It's something that as we see in the first story, one angel tells the shepherds and they get overjoyed as, as tons of angels join in the celebration. And then what is their response is that they go and tell others, right? This is such good news. This is so encouraging that they couldn't keep it to themselves. I wonder what good news you will experience this Christmas that you're like, I want to share this with someone. Maybe it's getting a gift that you've always wanted and you take a picture of it and you put it on Instagram, right? Or something like that. But we have been given the greatest gift ever in Jesus. And I know it sounds cliche, but if we stop and ponder 
what Jesus means to us, if we see what he meant to the shepherds and to the people in that first story, and if we connect with that, we'll understand that Jesus is meant to be the greatest gift of all time. And so how can we cultivate that gift in our day-to-day lives to where it really matters? The shepherds go and tell others. And then there's one more interesting thing that happens in this story. At the end of verse 19, it says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Ponder is an interesting word that Luke uses here because it means to think carefully before you reach a conclusion. So I wonder, what was Mary still not sure about? Jesus had come, an angel had announced it, the shepherds had come, the wise men had come and brought their gifts fit for a king. All of this amazing stuff has happened and Mary is pondering in her heart She's still not sure about something. She still hasn't reached her conclusion about something, but she's taking it with her. She's taking it with her to consider it, to chew on it, to think about it, to see what this really means for her. And so I think when the star is faded, when there's no more angels, when the shepherds and the wise men have gone home, when it's time for Mary and Joseph to go back home and life goes back to normal, she's probably thinking, what is going to come with me? What part of Christmas will come with me? That was amazing. That was wonderful. But she's pondering, what does this really mean for the long term? And I really hope that that will be the thing you ponder this morning. Is Jesus was born. We celebrate. It's celebrated around the world. It's an amazing time. But what does it really mean for the long term? When Christmas decorations come down and the season changes, what will remain? What goes with you for the long term? And the last verse says this, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I think one of the things Mary takes with her is this fact. Not only is his name Jesus, which means God saves, but she probably remembers another name that the angel told them. He would also be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. I think as Mary goes And as the the first Christmas fades away into the memories of the background, she takes with her this powerful truth. God is with us, Emmanuel. And I think that's the thing that you and I can take from this, is that I, I really hope and pray you have an awesome and fun and festive Christmas. But will you take Jesus with you for the remaining 365 days of the year? Would you let Emmanuel, God with us, be your truth that centers you day in and day out? Because if you do that, then the things that we celebrate here, hope, think about how powerful hope is, peace, no matter how stressful life gets, joy, no matter the circumstance, love, we all need and want love. These are kept together by the white candle which represents Jesus. It's not just for Christmas, it's for every day of the year. So I encourage you, make Jesus the center of your life every day of the year so that hope and joy and love and peace can go with you every day of the year. And that will make all the difference. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray? Dear God, I thank you for this day, Christmas Eve. And as we lead up into tomorrow, Christmas morning, thank you for the celebrations. Thank you for the fun time. Thank you for the presents that will be given and shared in love with one another. Lord, I pray that you would comfort also those who are missing loved ones during this special season. Be close to them, God, in a powerful way. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that we would remember that Jesus is truly the greatest gift 
and that you come with us every day of the year if we want you to, if we invite you to, if we make you the center and Lord of our lives. You don't just have to be a, a Christmas emotion. This doesn't just have to be uh, a season of, of good feelings that then fades away. I pray that you would help us to take Christmas with us every day of our lives. And thank you that you made it possible through this Jesus born in a manger to be our Lord and our Savior, to be our living King, to be everything we've ever hoped for. And thank you that you'll move heaven and earth literally to come into our lives if we let you. And that you're at work in our story in this real world, in our lives. Help us to believe that as we go forward from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.